South Bend, Indiana, I'm Jacob Titus. Welcome to More People. More People is a new article and podcast series written by Joe Molner and published on West SB that explores how South Bend lost 50,000 people in 50 years. On each episode, I'll be joined by Joe and my South Bend on Purpose co-host, Dustin Mix, to discuss the latest article in the series, how it was received online, and what's coming up next. Welcome to episode six of More People. My name is Jacob Titus, and I am joined, as always, by Dustin Mix and Joe Molnar. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Hey. We are here this evening to discuss, Joe, is this article five? Uh, Six, article six. Article six? Okay. And then the intro makes it seven? Yes. Okay. There we are. Article six, it's called More People, The Cost of South Bend's Decline. And in this, you're kind of, uh, I guess, taking a zooming out a little bit from the last articles that have focused in on like a specific kind of topic or problem or time period related to South Bend's population decline and looking at some of the kind of through lines across those is that an accurate description definitely yeah i think so to to the best of my ability the first five parts explained why south bend lost so many people and you know how that came to be it wasn't just an accident there were policy decisions there were bigger forces pushing on south bend so the first five parts kind of capture all those dynamics or at least again, to the best of my ability, this, Mm. um, this one I I felt was important because I think everyone, um, at a fundamental level, like just knows like, Hey, if you like population growth might not be super important, but like, if you lose a bunch of people, that's probably really bad for your city. And there's probably all of these, you know, cascading effects of that, that don't quite, people don't quite think of until you actually start looking at them from a big picture of what does losing people do to a city. Um, And there's, there's way more I could have done to, I I focused on five or six that I thought were important. And I also tried to play on, on important and also not quite on first glance, what you would think when you think of decline. Mm -hmm. And from the beginning, this article is kind of making the point that, it's important to look at the costs because while you've told this story that's looking at like the history and telling like people's stories that have happened, these costs affect people living here today. So while like uh, your past articles may have been dealing with like people who have read them, who may have lived in those neighborhoods could see themselves in that story. Some uh, in this cost one, it's kind of looking at, well, if you're living in that neighborhood today that's had decline, um, what are you feeling or what um, what are kind of the lasting effects that are now affecting your life? Yeah, that's that's spot on. So I think and I, I have a line specifically that, you know, it's, it's important to study population decline, to understand it, to know, you know, how it happened. But 
we really it really matters because it matters for the people that are still here. It doesn't matter. I, I, I begin the piece. I went out to my where my grandfather grew up, which the home is no longer there. It's on the very near east side of South Bend or near west side of South Bend. Mm-hmm. Um, the po- the census tracts lost 65 percent of its po- peak po- peak population. Um, and it but it's not it's not my grandpa who suffered because of that. Like he's, he's, he's long gone. Um, Mm. you know, it's not my family because I have no family members living in that neighborhood anymore. Um, so it's not for them that like this in the end matters. They're a part of the story because they were in the sense, the people that left or the generation that started to lose population in the neighborhood. Um, but it's for the people that remain there today that this is an issue because it's people that, that live there today that experience these costs. Um, you know, it's, it's not like South Bend lost these people. That process was bad and now it's over because we've stabilized our population. We think it's, it's always bad. Every single day South Bend is suffering the fact that we used to have, you know, way more people in our city and we don't now. Right. Yeah. And it's an interesting, I think it's like a really important perspective to take because in putting out all these past articles, like we get a lot of comments back on Facebook and Twitter. And in a lot of them, it's um, a lot of the comments are people who don't live here anymore or don't live in the neighborhood that they grew up in, even if they live still in South Bend. Um, But their comments kind of center their own experience, um, which is kind of a a backward looking or kind of sorrowful about the state of the neighborhood that they no longer live in and missing the fact that there still are people there right now. Yes. And it, it, there's a a weird way that like when you read through all these comments, um, it's like the neighborhood itself only exists in that one time. Uh, other than its current like decayed state. Um, that's really kind of a sad sight that we don't really like, we don't want to think about. It's just so sad that they'll say things like, like, I don't even go back, you know, I don't want to see it, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's kind of like this uh, erasing the fact that it's a populated place today. Yeah. I, I have one line and I think I, I'm, I think it's getting at what you're saying here, which is spot on. But I said, one common assumption many have when discussing population decline in Rust Belt cities is that these streets, blocks, and neighborhoods are uninhabited, that the past degraded these neighborhoods to the point of being unlivable. While many people today think of these neighborhoods as empty wastelands, it's not true. South Bend mm. is home today to over 100,000 residents, and a large percentage of those population lives in neighborhoods that look just like my grandfather's. Um, so even our most hardest hit neighborhoods that we've talked about that were hit hard by the closing of the factories that were hit hard by the shrinking population per household size that were hit hard by the great recession housing crash. They still have hundreds and sometimes thousands of people. Mm. Um, You know, in in the picture I have of my grandfather's old neighborhood. Yeah. There's a, there's a, his house is a vacant lot. And, but right next to it are five houses in a row that are currently occupied and actually in really good shape. Um, like I walked the neighborhood and it's, it's easy to get lost in the doom and gloom of, of population decline for the Rust Belt because, and we'll get into all the problems it's caused, but it's not like these places are uninhabited and they're actually quite loved still. And they're, they're lived in like any other place in the world. People, 
go about their lives. They, they have successes, they have failures, they have cookouts with their friends. Um, one thing I noticed the day I went out and, and took this photo, I was in the neighborhood uh, for work. Um, and I was like, well, I knew my grandpa's address was on that route. So I took a quick photo and then kept going. And then I came back on that weekend to really walk the neighborhood. Mm. Um, and one thing, and this was, you know, a month ago. So the election was in full swing and they were like, every house had a political yard sign. Um, mm. and, and like, there were still lots of kids playing. And then I, I had to go out to the far suburbs of the city and like, for whatever reason, that's there were no yard signs. <laughs> and so it's like these, it, these are very much can, and I'm not saying that means anything, but it was just something to me saying like, these people are still very much connected to the fabric of their city. Um, these neighborhoods yeah. are still neighborhoods. They're still very much places, kids today growing up. Um, you know, my grandpa, I go there, you know, and it's only a mile from where I live, but I go and I, I think about, Oh, what this place looked like when my grandpa lived here and my great grandpa. Um, but to that kid, that's just a field where he plays football, you know? Right. Right. Which, which is, you know, I think there's sometimes we can be lost in the doom and gloom and, and forget like these are real neighborhoods that real people live in today. Um, and it matters what happened to them because it makes their lives harder and it makes their lives worse off and it makes the city as a whole worse off for the future. That's why, right. that's why it matters. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Like this point about that. These are still neighborhoods and they're well loved. And like your point about the political signs and kids playing is interesting because I think these, in some ways, these neighborhoods, though, like facing tremendous challenges and they've lost a lot of people, they've lost a lot of infrastructure and investment, um, still in many ways might meet um, people's ideas of like an ideal neighborhood much more than many of the neighborhoods people have fled to. Um, yes. For I, like I think of students who have gotten involved in like Bowman Creek um stuff in like the Southeast neighborhood. And I think a lot of them, like this is obviously me just like assuming that many of them are probably not from a neighborhood like that. But, um, I know a lot of people who've gotten involved in that sort of thing and their eyes are just like bursting open of like, Oh my gosh, there's so much happening here. And there's so many people who, uh, care deeply about this neighborhood in a way that, um, they just haven't seen before. Yeah. I mean, for, for one there, especially in South Bend, um, these neighborhoods hit hardest, um, are really well-designed neighborhoods. They're usually on a tight grid pattern. Like the one, my grandpa grew up in. they're really beautiful cobbled brick streets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> usually there's quite a few street trees. Um, the houses are gorgeous early 19 or early 20th, late 19th century housing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the houses that was just one block north of uh, Napier Street, where my where I went um, in the photo is, is it's like it 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 looks like the neighborhood probably hasn't changed in a hundred years. Um, the the houses are really well loved. You know, there's there's grills out on every porch. There's a sense mm -hmm. of community. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to love about these neighborhoods. Um, and I I wanted to kind of talk about that first to to center the piece on two impacts where we're talking about why population decline matters because it makes these neighborhoods 
more difficult to live in and it makes the lives of the people who live in them more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But I also want to say, even with all this, it's easy to get lost in the doom and gloom and South Bend is still a, a place where people live today. It's not, we're not a museum piece. Right. Right. Yeah. And not just live in, in, in some cases um, where people really thrive and um, build interesting things and yeah. interesting communities. Definitely. So take us into, you go through kind of a list of, uh, different costs associated with population decline. Where do you start at? So, yeah, so we start with the probably the biggest topic left that hasn't been touched on um, in the in the series up to this point, and that's the schools. Um, if you ever talk about South Bend's decline, either specifically about population or just in general, like South Bend got worse type conversations or you know economic collapse, schools always come up in the conversation, either in person or online. Um, and a lot of people think that schools declined and that helped further the decline of South Bend. You'll hear it a lot, especially from mm-hmm. people who left saying, oh, the schools got really bad, so we had to leave. Um, but my research and just my general understanding of the city, I, I didn't think that was quite true. I thought, even going in, I thought, I think school quality and when I say school quality, I, there are lots of people who are doing a lot of good things in the South Bend public schools. Um, but by the metrics that we measure schools, there are some things that are lacking. And then I, I have many friends who tried South Bend public schools, but have left because of issues. Um, and that's okay. That's my, I actually start the whole thing about school saying my mom always told me if you want to have like a nice polite conversation, don't bring up politics, religion, or schools because <laughs> you're, you're going to get in a fight. Um, so I somehow find a way to, to get into all of these contentious <laughs> uh, conversations around South Bend schools. Yeah. Um, so just saying that like, it's okay if you have a differing opinion than me. Um, but one thing I always felt was I, I had a hunch that the school's, deteriorated and and schools lost money and lost students because the decline was happening. And that was a force on the schools as opposed to the schools as a causing force. Hmm. Um, And I, so that's how I approached it. And I pretty sure I found statistics that backed it up. Um, This is not to say that South Bend, um, that schools do not play a role in how populations move and do not play a role in real estate. In fact, I I talk about, especially for any listeners outside of like our immediate area, the Penn Harris Madison School Corporation is is claimed to be, and people think of it as the best school corp in the um, county and in the area. Um, and if you look up houses in that school district, especially in Granger, which is the premier suburb, like we've always talked about, I I just randomly picked five, and the, the I wrote down the beginning of each Zillow listing. So the real estate website and I have them here and I won't read them all, but all five I randomly picked and it just took five. I was like, I'll do five and I'll see what comes up all five within two sentences. And sometimes the first sentence brings up that it's in Penn Harris, Madison schools (laughs) before they talk about the neighborhood, before they talk about the size of the house, before they talk about bedrooms. Usually it's, like this one right here, Desirable Covington Shores, Blue Ribbon winning North Point Elementary School, Discovery Middle School and Penn High School. Like that's the first thing. The entire looking. track. 
zero to 18. We've yeah. got you. We've, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, it was almost like sometimes when you, you have an idea of something, but you're like, eh, maybe I, I have like the parody of it in my head and like the real world isn't like that. But no, it was exactly what I was looking for where I mm-hmm. randomly picked houses throughout Granger on a purely just clicking on the ones in the middle of the price range and every single one within two sentences brought up the school district. So mm. clearly people and it, real estate agents wouldn't do that if they didn't think that there was a benefit to doing that. If you go to South Bend or even if you go to Mishawaka houses, that's not the case. Um, sometimes they never bring up the school district. Sometimes it's way down the list of things that they mentioned about the school. So clearly Smack dab in the middle of the public school district. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but clearly Granger exists in a part because of the school district. Um, so I, I, I do not doubt that at all. But one thing I found interesting when looking into this is that as we talked about extensively during the last podcast, the, we, we talked about annexations and how Clay Township has almost entirely avoided being annexed by South Bend. It is the township immediately north of ours, um, and it experienced rapid suburban population growth in the second half of the 20th century. Very similar to um, the Granger area. Not quite as fast. Granger was faster, um, but still a very significant increase, especially compared to the city limits of South Bend. Um, but if you th- but starting in 1962, Clay Township has been in the South Bend School District. Um. So and starting in 1980, when the consent degree began, the schools have all been integrated. Um, so since 1980 and really since 1962, Clay Township and all the other collar townships, which have continued to experience population growth, have been in the South Bend School District, but they have not seen population decline. Um, so that has always, that has, was kind of my aha. Like, I think I'm right about this, where if it really was that the schools are so bad and the school district is so bad, it forced population decline to happen. Well, why didn't it do that to Clay Township during during the same period? It's the exact same period, 1960 to 2000. They doubled, almost tripled in population while South Bend lost, as we know, thousands and thousands of people, usually to this, you know, district. But if it really was people were fleeing the schools, they wouldn't have gone right to an area that has South Bend schools. It just doesn't make logical sense that schools are the reason that forced the decline, but rather the schools were a consequence of population decline. Hmm. Yeah. This one's interesting to me because... Um, well, I think generally I, I agree with you, Joe. I think one of the most missed dynamics here is I think people often argue over like which one started, like which one caused which one. And I think in reality, like the way bigger issue is that they are like self-reinforcing. Oh, definitely. So like whether it was like, a small population change kicked off the cycle or a small, which at the time could have been a seemingly insignificant decision within the schools that kicked off like a small quality issue, whatever it is. Once that like loop starts, it is like a death spiral of like Hmm. less people, less funding schools suffer. People want to leave less, you know, less kids, less funding schools suffer. People want to leave. And it just like, continues a death spiral until 
Yeah. Like you, you, you get past the point where like you can say, you can argue about which one started, which, but then you get to and just like, well, we are where we are now. And it's really hard to attract people to the South Bend schools mm. when you have pen, you know, like it, you just get in this, like, how do I don't even know how you start to reverse the trend. No, you're definitely it's such right. a death spiral. Yeah. It's, it's, it becomes self-fulfilling. Um, the point of it was that clay managed to keep growing its mm-hmm. population being in the school district, but you're hundred percent right that one population can decline can cause an issue which causes further population decline, mm-hmm. um, you know, and crime can be another factor of that. Um, and I, and so some of the causes of population decline on the schools is immediately that you just have less children. And even more so, as we've talked in the on the podcast a ton, the type of population decline South Bend suffered, where a lot of it was our families just got smaller mm-hmm. and where we, we used to have a house and it had two parents and three kids. Now it might just have one adult or one adult, and one kid. Um, we've lost a lot of ki- children in South Bend. Um, we've actually there's a there's a chart we have um, in 1960. We had forty six thousand kids ages zero to 17 in South Bend. And in 2010, we had 27,000. So Mm. the loss of children was 41% while the loss of um, the total population Mm. was only 24%. So Mm -hmm. it's a disproportionate amount of the the loss in population is children that we've had. And that is an immediate consequence then that the schools are burdened. Um, I have two maps in this section and one shows the 1963 elementary and middle school boundaries um, right after the merger with all the townships around it. So this is the first time it's really like the South Bend school corp that we know today. And there's three to four times as many schools as we have. I think I have, there were at least 43 that I counted. Um, and today we're at 21 with at least some more closures on the way. If you're going to believe the most recent headlines, um, and it's, it's exactly what you're talking about is less kids equals less resources and just emptier buildings and, um, you know, less money for teachers because we fund schools off how off their enrollment. Yeah. And, and that's like where it gets really complicated with some of the other issues we've talked about already, which is like, you know, often state money coming into schools is some fixed amount per, per kid and same mm-hmm. with federal money. Right. Um, but then like a lot of local money into schools is property tax based. So not only do we have like declining enrollment in terms of number of students and, and the effect that has, but then you also like talk about the things we've talked about before with like different neighborhoods suffering in disproportionate ways, property value issues. Yeah. Cause less and people are there. The property value like impact on school funding is. And especially when you have that huge, you know, we talk about like the economic, whatever we called it, gerrymandering segregation that happened as well, where it wasn't like across the board, people from across the economic spectrum were leaving South Bend. It was like people with resources were leaving South Bend. And um, so you think about like how a place like Penn is funded in terms of property tax. It's just a way different dynamic. So it's like here, add like another death spiral loop, which is around like property tax death spirals and like how that works and like you just get this like real mess of of real real suffering from our school system oh yeah Mm -hmm. and i and i think 
um, it's one thing I didn't quite touch on as a cost, even though it's probably the biggest cost, but I think it's almost self-explanatory. So, and I, it's, a, it would take a ton of math to do and, and the city's done it and it's possible it'll be touched on later. Um, but yeah, as you, as you empty out a neighborhood and you have vacant lots, it is not like the road in front of it doesn't need to be paved anymore. You know, it's not as if, um, the police don't need to protect have protective services and the fire department doesn't have protective services or that geographic area. And it's not like the schools in that neighborhood don't still exist. And they're the same brick and mortar building that needs to be paid for. That was there 20 years ago, even if now a third of the neighborhood's gone. Um, so it's kind of like if, if you listen to all the previous things we've talked about, like each one of those negatively impacts the schools. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder, and it's, it's almost a wonder to me, like people, they have such a simple concept of it. Like, we'll just fix the schools. Mm-hmm. And it's, I wish we, I wish it was that easy. And I, I, I think it's probably the hardest thing for South Bend to fix. And I, I, I end it the, this portion on the schools saying like, obviously the, the perceived quality of the South Bend school corporation is a hindrance on further population growth and further development in the city. Mm -hmm. But the thing that would help the schools the most is further population growth. (laughs) Like it's, it's the opposite of a chicken or an egg because it's like, you have to have one to help the other, but both impact each other negatively. So you don't get either. Yeah. It's the same thing as like how the death spiral can start is like, you need something to like catalyze a positive cycle. And that's going to take like some like like it just is it just going to fix itself like it needs some sort of input to like kick off a good cycle, whether that's like more people moving in or, you know, better funding, like something to change in order to start getting a positive loop, which is probably what if you look at like Penn and like Granger, it probably went the exact opposite direction, right? Or it was like property values up can fund the schools more they get a better reputation you attract right. people right. well and that's, it just keeps keep keep cycling in the opposite direction that's exactly right i mean that was kind of the point of those zillow listings at the beginning because it was like clearly the schools are a reason why a house in granger is worth half a million and if you mm-hmm. take that very same house and put it in south side south bend same exact suburban style development it's only worth 200 to 250 it's 100 the schools at that point and then that property tax of that five hundred thousand dollar assessed house is funneled back into the schools because mm-hmm. as we've talked about they don't really have a city out there so the only thing those property taxes pay for are schools and the county government they don't have a city so it even more goes to the schools like it's a, it's a function of just that Granger exists to fund a school corp, which then exists to keep Granger alive. Mm-hmm. I do have an idea. Potential input opportunity. Go for it. And I threw this out on Twitter uh, this weekend. Joe, you may have seen this, but uh, an app <laughs> where <laughs> involuntary app, if someone tells someone else that they live in South Bend, they then uh, begin paying city taxes. The app collects. (laughs) If they see you right, like I'm from South Bend, but you're not. Yeah. I mean, it might, it might be on, it might sound unreasonable, but uh, maybe that 
maybe the app idea is unreasonable, but I think if we head down this road, we might get somewhere interesting. I'm sure cities across the across the nation would look like. I'm sure Chicago would love this app. Oh my oh. gosh. Oh yeah. I mean, they would start charging people in South Bend, Chicago taxes. <laughs> oh, and I, it, it's a, again, like we've kind of talked about this whole series kind of plays with the idea of like, what even is a city? Like, what does it mean for a city to lose population? If right. cities have now just become unlike in like medieval times and ancient times where it was very clear, like there was walls around it and that was the city. And if you wanted to have a bigger city, you built a new circuit of walls. Like there was very little ambiguity of what was the city and what wasn't. Um, now we just have these imaginary lines on a map that have really, really important consequences of those imaginary lines. But like from the ground, you know, cities are sprawling beasts now that kind of just absorb and absorb. And, but our political in let's how should I put the United States's political imagination of what a city can be hasn't kept up with it in the some in the mm -hmm. way that in Europe and other places they've really gone to they've gotten kind of rid of like the concept of like city boundaries at a very tiny level but more of a mm. regional concept of it um we're definitely gonna call the, your next series imaginary lines by the way because <laughs> i feel like you've really leaned into it's a very interesting idea and i feel like yeah. you've really leaned into this idea uh i mean it comes up on the podcast uh, uh probably each time but i feel like on twitter uh the term imaginary lines is really creeping into your tweets at like a greater frequency it's it's one of the things that i think you know i've written out like over thirty thousand words about my hometown and what happened to it and why it was damaged um, and, you know, we're going to get to even more consequences of that. But really, a, so much of it is just because on a map somewhere, a line goes left instead of right. Um, and that's the school districts. The school districts are also imaginary lines on a map. Like, why do we send our kids to South Bend schools? Well, if you go two miles to my east, they send them to Mishawaka. Well, it's an imaginary line on a map. Um, well, and that's like a bigger theme than just local, obviously, with right our uh political and democratic system yeah like our entire you know the idea of counties and congressional yeah. districts and, I think and states and electoral votes is all based on these lines imagine at least like at some level yeah everything is an imaginary line on a map but when it's <laughs> like except like a river you know or something or like a wall like if we used to have a wall around the city like that wasn't imaginary that was a wall <laughs> Like that actually had a physical manifestation of itself. Um, it makes me think of the the old man yells at cloud me. <laughs> Joe Joe Bolnar yells at imaginary, imaginary lines. Oh, I think about it every time I cross Logan. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you're like everywhere I go, they're That's, there. That center line really gets you. <laughs> um, but to get back on a little bit on track, so purely just population decline has negative effects on the schools through less enrollment, which means less money, which means less enrollment, which means less money on mm -hmm. and on. I don't even really, I barely re reference it, but you know, there's the whole vouchers and charter schools issues as well, but that's not really population decline per se. Um, but there's, but that's schools, right? I, I really think at least at the beginning, schools are a consequence of the larger community, not the other way around. Um, mm -hmm especially when it comes to population decline. Um, the next topic, which I think 
this one got the most people talking to me about, which I thought was fun because it was one of the ones I I thought about and I don't doesn't get written about much is like we've lost a lot of our political representation at all levels of government, which mm. seems really apt now just because of the election that we just had. Um, but at our our I kind of get into it um, at our peak population relative to the country, which was actually 1930. Um, we used to dominate our U.S. House seat for Congress. So 40 percent of the district that made up South Bend um, or 40 percent of the people that made were in this district were from South Bend. So South Bend really was the dominant force of our congressional district back then mm -hmm. um, in a way that now it's only 14 percent. So we went wow. from making up 40 percent of our congressional district to 14 percent, even though we're still the largest city in the district. Um mm -hmm. So that there's just a negative consequence to South Benders that we, our political rep doesn't have to pay attention to us so much because we don't make as much votes. It happens at the Indiana legislative level as well, where in 1930, we used to like about South Bend because it was so large, had three to four um, Indiana House districts in it. Now we only make up one and a half and we only have one district that is entirely in South Bend. And what we just mm -hmm. saw in the most recent election is there's one district that is entirely South Bend. And then there's three or four that contain like 10% of South Bend and like everywhere else in the country right now, cities are more uh, liberal and more democratic and the countryside is more Republican. And what happens is when you take that and you have a situation where a bunch of districts are mostly rural, but contain a tiny bit of South Bend. Those, those South, the people of South Bend vote one way and the rules vote the other and they win. Um, gerrymandering gets into that a lot, but it's also just a consequence of, we used to be much bigger. Just, we had 30,000 more people and the country and the state was a lot smaller. Um, so our dominance of our local political um, leaders was a lot stronger and there's a consequence to that is it was guaranteed especially down at the state house that south bend had a number of representatives down there who who were impacted by what's was good for the people of south bend where today because we've lost so many people and because the state has continued to grow we have a lot less people down there and so we have a lot less pull to get laws passed that benefit the city instead of harming the city. Right. Right. Yeah. Th this one's the most interesting to me. Cause I don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about it because at, at like first blush, it's like, that's a problem. Second blush here. Like, well, if we have less people and less proportion of people like our, representation should scale back oh yeah i'm not saying we should be we're not some special flower that should get right, like right, right, right. two votes for every person it's just no, 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 it, yeah, yeah. it's a consequence of for south bend not for anybody right. else but um, then it's just like an interesting question of like about anything back to the question we were asking this whole time it's like what is the city and what do you want it to be um but it is interesting in terms of like when you have these uh imaginary lines that you keep talking about like how does that affect like your relation to everything around you? So whether it's like our city's relation to the County, like our city's relation to the congressional district we live in both 
the national, like the House of Reps, but also like our Indiana legislature. And then like us compared to the state. Like it's just like your pull and your influence and your relationship to like the other like civic bodies around you it creates a lot of questions about like how do you want that to work and what role do you want to play yeah i mean i so i put two maps i unfortunately i couldn't really find a really good 1930s map of the congressional districts um but i found one from the 1970s and then i have today's so about 50 years later um and even then so as we know in the sev- by the 1970 census south end had already started down this peak and had already been growing slower than indiana in the united states for a time but if you look at the congressional district and unfortunately the colors flip um, and the boundary is the state line. So the the congressional district South Bend used to be and used to be a lot smaller and now it's a lot bigger. Um, you know, it used to just be South Bend, Elkhart and um, LaPorte County. That was enough to have a congressional district. Um, and of the three of those, South St. Joe County especially was the largest by far. South Bend was the dominant city of that county. So the congressional district kind of revolved around us um, and, you know, the concerns of the people of South Bend. And then today, if you look at the map, it's, you know, it's it's like an eight county district and South Bend is a part of it. And we're still the biggest city in the district. And St. Joe County is the biggest county in the district. Um, but there's a lot more people who have an impact on that congressional race than there used to be. Um, and again, I'm not saying it, it shouldn't be that way. This, this is why it doesn't, especially at the congressional level, because the districts are so big and Indiana is growing slower than the country. So it has a lot less districts than it used to have. It's not really gerrymandering because like South Bend is still all in one district. Like they didn't split or crack South Bend at a congressional level. It's just, we are so much smaller relative to what we used to be that we don't dominate. Like we used to be Gary is an even bigger representation of that. If you look at the map, it used to be this tiny little district. Like it was just the city of Gary and like it's immediate surrounding like, you know, East Chicago area. Um, and now it's grown so much more just because it, the, the decline in Gary has been so dramatic. Um, so that's, kind of this has happened across the Rust Belt where cities that used to have two or three congressional representatives now just have one or none. Um, Cincinnati, and this was due to gerrymandering, basically doesn't have a congressional district rep anymore because of the way it's been gerrymandered, where the person who gets all the votes in Cincinnati doesn't ever win. Um, and and I'm trying to stay out of like the political parties about it because those shift and change over time. But St. Joe County has it's been 10 years since the person that St. Joe County voted for has won our congressional district. Um, and we're the largest County. And so at some level, granted, there are a lot of people in St. Joe County who vote for the winner, but the majority of people in St. Joe County and definitely in South Bend, they, their congressional choice never wins. Interesting. I mean, and that's that's a just a pure like it's just a numbers game. That's a pure consequence of us losing people while the country and the state keep growing. Like it's it's just inevitable um, that Hmm. we will have less political representation every decade that we grow slower than the United States. Yeah. Yeah, which is definitely, I think, to your point, like not not something most people think about when they think about decline of population. 
And it's, and again, I'm not even blaming mm. the politicians that represent us too much because like, well, they, you know, they just run in the district that they are mm-hmm. and it, it just, the numbers are what the numbers are. It's, it's not their fault. South Bend's lost a bunch of people. Um, but at that same level, then, you know, especially at the state level, if you used to have three to four state reps and two to three state senators who like their entire districts were in South Bend or the vast majority of their of their districts had from South Bend, they were going to definitely focus on the issues that really impacted South Bend at a state level where now if you just have one to two, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but at the state level, they're passing hundreds of laws, you know, a session. And it's, it's important that you have a voice in that process of how to write those laws. We talked just last time about the annexation laws. Um, and how that negatively impacted cities and negatively specifically, they wrote a whole law to impact St. Joe County. Um, maybe that would be different if we had kept growing at the pace of the, of the country. And we still had five to six congr- uh, state reps that were all from South Bend. Maybe they would have had enough pool to stop that law. I don't know, but it's definitely more likely than if you just have one to two. Hmm. It makes me think about um, when Lynn Coleman ran against Jackie Walorski. I don't know if you remember, like she wouldn't debate him, Mm -hmm. um, which I mean, to your point about like, she doesn't need to right? like, there's a very small percentage of her district is in South Bend and uh, she doesn't really need our votes to win. But then it just, I have this picture burned in my mind of she agreed to debate him once then, mm-hmm. but it was in Tippy Canoe, I think. Yep. There's some, in yeah. a room like press, were, like no one was allowed in. It was on a radio station and it was just this photo in like this wood panel wall room with like drop ceiling and the two of them sitting there debating on radio that didn't reach to South Bend. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing is like the radio reach didn't even get here. Um, right. And again, it's like you just said, like at some level, it's our not our fault, but like the numbers are what the numbers are. And in this country, as it should be, it's one person, one vote. Um, And we have the population we have. um, And that has the the consequence of our population decline is we have less political representation at all levels, even at Mm -hmm. I don't touch on this in the this piece, but even at the county commissioner level where we've talked about all along, we used to be 70% of all the people in St. Joe County lived in South Bend. Mm. Now it's 37%. So like this election just happened. People really shouldn't be that surprised when South Bend neighborhoods overwhelmingly vote one way, but the county government doesn't end up looking like that because we'd make up a lot less of the county than we used to be. Even though as We've gone over and over in the series about how we still make up a ton of the jobs. We're still the driving force for the county on many levels. If people don't live here and they live elsewhere and they reflect those values, you know, that it's just a natural consequence of population decline is that the people who remain have less say, um, or at least their their opinions have less weight. Right. Right. Um. The third one um, is environmental degradation. And you could take this a lot of different ways. Um, one way I didn't do too much, but just off the bat, 
the fact that the county's population has grown like 30,000 people since 1960, mm. but I would bet this, the amount of roads and concrete and asphalt and, you know, on, on, and paveable services is grown way more than that percentage wise. Like we've basically probably doubled the footprint of St. Joe County's built environment with only a slight population gain. Um, that's one degradation that's like just always there. Um, and it gets into it. I really focus in on CO2 emissions. Um, and if, if you're like me and you believe climate change is a serious issue that everyone should be concerned about, um, we should really focus on where we live. And because that is the number one driver or if you commit a lot of CO2 emissions or not. Mm. Um, I got this data from the University of Berkeley. Um, so I trust it and it, it's estimations, but I, I trust that it's roughly true. And the numbers are so starkly different um, that it, even if they're off a little bit, the story will be the same. But I have a map on there from the from the website and it's the zip codes and everything's done by zip code and it's how much CO2 emissions household produces and all the districts or all the zip codes that are entirely in the city limits are green or yellow while all the zip codes that are outside the city limits and in the suburbs and in countryside are orange or red. Um, Mm. And it's almost a consequence of driving almost all of it, but I even did the average. And so the average household that's in the city limits of South Bend emits 45 um, carbon, uh, cubic tons, uh, me- I'm sorry, metric tons of CO2 every year. So 45, the average suburban, which is basically the rest of the county, I just did the count. So and not counting Mishawaka. Um, so the average unincorporated area is 60. So we're 45 and they're 60 just by and like we're all living in the same uh, climate. You know, we're all driving on the same roads, but South Benders, people of South Bend on average, 45, the exact same people, but they live five to 10 miles somewhere else, 60. That's a huge difference over the cost of a whole city. If um, and I really dug into it and did the average of did analyze two different zip codes, one being four, six, six, one, five, partly because it's my zip code. And also it matches the average for South Bend really well, but it's not the best in South Bend. Um, so that I didn't even pick the best. And then I measured it off of Granger, which is, you know, the typical suburb. So kind of the idea of what if everyone had lived in a more city like atmosphere, like South Bend. And mm-hmm. the most important thing here is we're not even talking about apartments. Like the vast, vast majority of households in the 46615 um, zip code are single family homes, just like in Granger. They, we, and many, and many are like large and like it's not like they're all small. Yeah. No, they're, yeah. They're a lot of them are really good size. Um, almost everybody drives a car every day. So we're not even talking about like, oh, well, people in the city live in apartments and take public transportation. Like we're just talking about like slight we, differences. It's also like any zip code in South Bend. We don't have like a, booming population of people living in apartments and using public transportation yeah like yeah so like so what if just instead of what south bend the area did which was become a suburban sprawl what if it had just kept building out as a city that looked like this Mm -hmm. and food so the it breaks it down into five categories transportation housing food goods and services 
food goods and services granger is a tiny bit more than the south bend zip code um most of that's probably just because they're wealthier on average so you know they probably use more services they probably use more goods um but it's not that significant where it's crazy different is transportation and housing for transportation, the 46615 zip code is 12 and a half metric tons of carbon dioxide. For Granger, it's double. It's 25. For housing, it's 16 in force in the zip in the South End zip code. For Granger, it's 25 again. Jeez. So that just shows like if we really want to take climate change seriously and we believe that spewing carbon dioxide is bad, the first thing you can do without changing your like outlook on life at all is live in a city with a slightly smaller house because if you think about it because we know south bend is still the job hub for the county half the jobs in our county are still in south bend and if you throw mishawaka in there it's like 80 percent of the jobs are still in the two cities which are you know pretty dense ish not dense compared to east coast and west coast but compared to the county if we know that most people still work here and if you live closer to where you work, you're going to drive less. You're going to drive less to, to your job. You're going to drive less to your kid's school. You're going to drive less to the grocery store, to the restaurants, to downtown for to go see a show at the Morris. Um, you're also, because the city was largely built on a grid pattern, your driving is more efficient. Instead of starting on a cul-de-sac and doing a whole mile of driving before you get onto your arterial road, like fur or brick, and then down to a state highway that you drive then 60 miles an hour on to get into downtown South Bend. If you just start on a grid and you take the shortest path there, because you can, because it's a grid, you're going to drive less. Hmm. And it's just shown in the numbers. It's not like this is make-believe. Like It is infinitely better even if you almost have the same socioeconomic status to live in a denser, and I'm not even talking crazy dense, but just a slightly more dense urban environment, you're going to immediately have a smaller impact on the environment. Hmm. Um, I did the numbers and this is just kind of for fun, but like if say South Bend never lost the 30,000 people and we still had those, say that growth had happened in a way where it looks just like what we had built up to that point. I estimated a rough estimate every year we'd have 180,000 fewer metric tons of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere. And that's just South Bend. And that's just mm. if we didn't lose population, not even if all the growth that had happened happened in the city, but just if we hadn't lost those households and those households were here. Right. Um, and this one kind of blew my mind. Like it was just like, these people, we are living almost the exact same lives, but because of the built environment that we've decided to reside in, we're having disproportionate impacts on the climate. Right. Well, and the challenge here, like, I mean, somewhat speaking to the political representation one is that there are also very different attitudes about how much this matters, whether you like generally, whether you mm -hmm. live in the city or um, outside of the city. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, and it's interesting because like I know a lot of people who live out in more suburban style development mm -hmm. who, who think climate change is a really big issue. Right. And I, and I don't think they're do it facetiously and I don't think they're, you know, trying to trick themselves, but like the data is pretty, 
pretty clear. And like, if you have to live in this, you know, you can, you could always go one step further, right? You could always say, we should go live in New York in this tiny little apartment and and take the subway. But what I actually found was that if you live in downtown South Bend, um, your carbon, the average household in downtown South Bend, which now includes by this point, it includes quite a bit of the apartments that are now occupied. You're, Mm -hmm. you're barely contributing more to the environment than downtown Chicago, the loop. Hmm. So it you can live a pretty sustainable, lower carbon dioxide impacting life in this county. And you that's even still with owning a car, still with driving to most of your trips. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a consequence of population decline because of the way we declined in population where we sprawled out and out and out. Um, and it it's wreaking havoc. And this is something that you, if you go to this website, which is linked in the article, you can fly around the whole country. And it's like this in every single city, especially traditional cities like South Bend that were founded pre-car. The little the downtown and immediate neighborhoods are all green and yellow and the countryside, especially not even just the countryside, but the suburbs are all bright red. Like right. the worst, the worst areas are, are not the deep country where farmers live. It's the right. suburbs in between the countryside and the city is always the worst. Hmm. And like, to me, it's a cost. It's a cost of population decline because this is something that didn't have to happen. And now that it is happening, we're making the globe and we're making the world worse because of this decline that then forced sprawl. Right. So that's the lot. That's that one. <laughs> if you have anything, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's it's just like a. I think this one is like, in some ways, it's the clearest, right? Because the data you just have is like so clear. But it's like the hardest to wrap your head around the consequences of, um, because I think most people, reading or listening to this, including me, like. I don't have a good context for what 180,000 fewer metric tons of CO2 being dumped into the atmosphere means. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think obviously, you know, former Mayor Pete would probably say it means having, you know, a 50-year flood and a 100-year flood both in the span of two years or something like that. But I, I think that's where it gets like really it's it's interesting and tough and especially like you're saying like combined with the political representation part of this is like how do you how do you move people in the messaging of the consequences of this where i think the schools is a little bit easier to see sometimes it's still a long i mean both schools and this are long-term consequences you need to wrap your head around as a community um but i think this one is like one of the ones that's like couldn't be clear in terms of the case for it and probably couldn't be more opaque in terms of the consequences of it on like our daily life here in South Bend. Oh yeah. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, say for whatever reason, South Bend bucked every trend and, you know, we didn't sprawl at all. We stayed a really dense, vibrant city where we kept building pretty dense single family homes on grids just out as opposed to, big arterial roads with sprawling, you know, loop-de-loop roads. Um, the globe, it wouldn't, and South Bend's so small in comparison to the world, it wouldn't have any impact, 
right? Like the climate change would be exactly the way it is. But if you, if you believe that every person should do something about this issue, and if you believe that individual actions matter and collective city actions matter and everyone should do their part, then it's super important. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. And, and this is kind of one where like, this is across the country as cities depopulated and we started this, you know, growth pattern of sprawl. This is a consequence that happened everywhere. Every, like I said, every metro looks like this. Um, it's probably more pronounced in metros like South Bend, where the central city has even less households than it used to. Where like as in New York, which has a bigger population than ever before, that means more and more people are living on a smaller environmental impact, even though they have really sprawling suburbs too. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, and they they even suffered decline, but they've gained it back. But um, yeah, this one was interesting just from a pure fact of, like you said, it's it's the easiest to look at because it's like, wow, this is really bad. Um, but it's the hardest to then quantify and okay, well, what are the, what do you do next? That's the party skewer when they hit you with schools that you hit them. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, what about climate change? Yeah. <laughs> How many metric if, tons have you put in the atmosphere today? Yeah, if if companies were having Christmas parties this year, we'd be equipping people with the tools they needed. <laughs> um, the next cost of population decline um, is increased segregation, which this one is is kind of a little trickier to to talk up. But um, so as a whole, the county has gotten slightly more diverse since 1960 since the decline started but south bend in relation to the county it's become the two have become even more different and segregated um so i have a chart on here which i think shows it pretty well but it shows 1960 2010 and the difference between the two and it has south the south bend black population the saint joseph county unincorporated black population the south bend white population and the St. Joseph County uh, white population. The only one of those numbers that has declined is the South Bend white population. So South Bend has lost 60,000 white people in that 50 years, while the county grew by 45,000 white people. Um, But at the same time, so while basically half of the white people left of South Bend, we've doubled our black population but the county, while growing two or three times its pop- black population, it started off so small, still has a very, very small black population. Hmm. So South Bend, where it used to be, um, I just wrote it here. In 1960, South Bend had about 66% more African-American residents uh, compared to the county. But today, that percentage is closer to 110%. So South Bend today almost has double its ratio of African-American residents compared to the county. Mm. Um, And why that matters is because we know that growing up in neighborhoods that are segregated by race is really bad for everybody, not just for the African-American community, but also for white people. It's bad to grow up in homogeneous, you know, environments that don't challenge you. Um, And it'll play into our next topic, which is concentrated poverty. But we know that what happens when you separate populations out by race, it has really negative consequences on a whole bunch of socioeconomic levels. 
And basically what we have is the central city is basically the only place black people live in our county while the county remains really white. Um, and when you see resources then being diverted from the city, when you see the schools suffering in the city, but not out in the county, all those then are disproportionately impacted on African-Americans and not white people. Yeah, it ends up touching all these costs that we're discussing, right? Yeah. Like, even, like you think about like the political representation um, that you have um, people living in, in South Bend, particularly black people living in South Bend looking at um, our elected officials in the county and um, there's not much to identify with there. Yeah. I mean, politically or um, otherwise. Yeah. I mean, if, if those numbers wouldn't have dramatically changed as much and if the black population of the whole county grew just, you know, distributed out the whole way, my guess is you'd have a more representative county, you know, but because most black people are concentrated in South Bend. They have a lot less say. Right. In how things are run and all these negative impacts of population and economic decline are disproportionately felt by the black community. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just inevitable yeah. that if it, it, and there's not yeah. that much to say yeah. right like you were saying like this one's a little more difficult to talk about but in some ways it's it's, it's most, also kind of like stark it's right there yeah i mean in 1960 south bend was 91 percent white um and now it's 61 percent white while the county has barely budged it's gotten right. like five or six percent uh less white so you had the situation where in 1960, yeah, South Bend was largely where there was, you know, the black population in the county, but it was a smaller population and the, the city more looked like the county. But as the city now looks less and less like the county surrounding it, um, you know, there are just negative consequences to that. Right. Right. You know, yeah. And I, I think part of this is, I mean, as we've talked about before, it's like, you know, so uh, a lot of people want to talk about the perceived or potential for gentrification in South Bend. And in reality, like this is the way bigger story. Like this is the story that's already happened. It's been going on for decades and like has had so many more dire consequences on like our population as a whole, but obviously in particular African-American population, um, and it's 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 like even I would say even more stark than the than the kind of climate change numbers. It's just like there's just no denying these facts and like the effect that it's had on on the African American community in South Bend. Right. Yeah, I mean we've we've talked before. One hundred percent of the population decline of this city is because it has lost white residents. All other uh, races and ethnicities have grown in that time period. Um, And because of the way our country has been structured and legacies of systemic racism, white people have a lot more disposable and income and wealth than other races and ethnicities. So as white people left money left with them. Yeah. And, and like not just the wealth to do so, but also the like freedom to do so in terms of definitely. Yeah, obviously at at certain times housing policy and and 
like access to financing, all those kinds of things have, have all been skewed in a way that like, even if people from the black community wanted to leave, it'd be way harder to do so. Um, than than their white counterparts. Mm. Mm. And I mean, this is kind of like biggest picture, like all those storylines we've talked about over six articles. Now, this is the direct consequence of them. <laughs> like yeah. the, the, of most Stark is, you know, um, and, it, and it really plays into the next and the last cost I, I call out, which is concentrated poverty, um, which again, it kind of takes everything we've talked about. And it just like, this is a direct consequence of all that happening. Um, I didn't wasn't able to go as far back as 1960. Um, so I was only able to get to 1980, which it's crazy um, because so 1980, like the decline's already happening. Um, yes, the, the households have still grown. Those haven't fallen yet. But like Studebaker's closed. Most of the factories are pretty closed by the 1980. You know, downtown urban renewal had happened where they just destroyed downtown. Um, and, you know, de- demoed most, most of it. So by 1980, a lot of that has happened. But even then, so in 1980, South Bend made up 45% of the county's total population and 61% of all the uh, impoverished residents. So anyone under the poverty line. So, you know, not parity, you know, obviously even then more, if you were, you know, in poverty, you're more likely to live in South Bend, but it used to be 45%, 61%. By 2010, South Bend's share of the county's population was 38%. So we lost people, but our share of impoverished residents rose during that time period, you know, to 65% of all impoverished residents in the county, which Mm. is just incredible that like, as we're losing population, we're having more impoverished residents in the city. And this goes back to the Lloyd Allen quote, where the only people who can remain are the people who can't afford to leave and they still need city services. Um, Even as South Bend lost thousands of residents, it somehow managed to increase its share of St. Joe County residents who were living under the poverty line. Mm. And it blew my mind. I thought like the share would fall because like the whole city is losing people, but it didn't turn out that way. It's still where you have the situation where more and more of the people in poverty in St. Joe County live in South Bend. Right. Like it used to be spread out more. Well, and I mean, I think it like there's possible that there's a tie between like, we've talked about before the like jobs didn't leave South Bend employees did. And like what you pointed to there was that like South Bend is still the job center for the County. The jobs are here in the city. Um, but people with means who are able to, they live outside of the city oftentimes and then drive in. Um, whereas if you aren't well off, you don't necessarily have that choice. Yeah. Chances are, if you are under the poverty line in South Bend, you work outside of the city. Right. Mm. And you drive out to go work at a retail shop out in Mishawaka or Granger or whatever have you. And you Mm. come back to South Bend to live because it's the cheapest place to live. Um, And then the exact opposite is if you're wealthy, if you, if if you live in, if you live in St. Joe County and you are in the top 25, you know, percentile, you chances are you work in South Bend um, because we have the highest paying jobs on average, but you chances are you don't live here. 
Um, and this is all happening while, like we talked last time, um, we have to keep in mind that South Bend is charged with subsidizing a number of the institutions and services that all county residents benefit from. Right. Like the poorest among us are paying for the services that, right. ev- that everybody enjoys. Right. And it's more now than ever before. Like th- that's what I think all these costs kind of get to is like, yes, this decline happened. And again, our population has hopefully stabilized, which is good. And we'll see in the, in the spring, but like this is worse than it's ever been before hmm. that I can track that we right now today have the, in, at least in 2010, again, 2020, we might see some changes, but by 2010, we had more of the people under the poverty line than ever before in our County, even as our share of the population kept falling. Mm. Like I was almost certain like, okay, the share of impoverished residents in South Bend in relation to the county would fall because just we're losing people everywhere. But that's just not what happening. What was happening was South Bend became the only cheap place to live. Well, yeah. And I think like cheap place to live is part of it. But the other is like cost to move. Right. Like exactly. Yeah. You couldn't leave. You can't leave. Right. And, And it's like interesting when you look at. Like what is considered the two biggest barriers to stable employment for people in the city of South Bend, like one of the top ones is transportation. And it goes back to your, your earlier point, which is that like the types of jobs that are available to the people living at the poverty line or below are typically like service sector jobs. A lot of which are taking place outside the city that they need transportation besides either you know, on foot where they can walk and or even like stretches our public transportation system to the max. Um, So you have people who can like not only just afford the move and all that is opposed, like all that is associated with the move and the housing costs of moving, but then also can afford the transportation cost to then drive whatever it is, 10, 15, 20, 30 miles back into South Bend for work without any issues because they have access to a reliable car and, and all that kind of stuff. And then everybody, and then there's this whole population in South Bend who has the exact inverse experience where they can't afford to move even if they want to. The jobs increasingly are probably outside the city and don't have access to affordable and reliable app uh, transportation to keep those kinds of jobs, um, mm-hmm. which, so you have like two, again spirals that go Mm -hmm. in the wrong directions Mm -hmm. and it and it it's kind of why this problem is so hard to fix like why is population decline so hard how do you reverse it because say it's jobs which some people say like we just need to add a ton a ton of jobs and like add 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 jobs well if you're adding a bunch of jobs but and even if even if they go to south bend residents then which is good that's what we want Chances are, as they make more money and become, you know, well off, they'll leave the city. Yeah. And so then you just have more of the same problem where your job that South Bend is the jobs capital of the city or of the county, but less and less people live here. So it's how do you break that cycle is is so difficult. Um, And ultimately, I kind of end this section, you know, about the cost with this. I said. Population decline and migration within the county has left us with a poor central city still charged with providing the jobs and amenities the entire county enjoys. 
this is unsustainable. Mm. And it is, and it it's entirely unsustainable for this to continue for 10, 20, 30, 40 more years. And, and something has to give either. It'll be the city. The city will hit critical decline, which I pray doesn't happen. And I, I don't think it's going to happen, but that is one outcome is that these forces keep multiplying upon themselves and it just gets worse and worse until something breaks in the city and we can't do pave our roads or pay for police officers and firefighters and do it in the water, you know, or we fix these issues and we get people to start living here again. And those positive, um, you know, spiral loops reverse some of this and make it. So everyone who still lives in South Bend is better off. Yeah. I think, I think it's like one of the more, like one of the most interesting questions that this leaves, which is, I'm not convinced after seeing the nuances and the complexity of like the results of population decline that the antidote is population increase. Um, And I'm not saying, I say that with a broad brush, I'm not saying that we don't want more people. Um, I think we (laughs) do, but I don't think it's as simple as just adding more people. Yeah, I think the way, yeah, the way in which you add people matters um, because if you don't pay attention to that, it seems clear from like this past six articles that you could set off, sure, positive like reinforcing loops, but they could be very unequal um, in who gets to benefit from them. Um, As well as sometimes they might have like some positive loops also uh, cause negative negative loops in other places or or for other residents so i think it's like it's it, all this has told me is that it's like so it's so complicated to think about not only how do we reverse these trends but then like if you start getting moving the other way like how do you be conscious about not not creating almost more inequality or or you know bad outcomes by trying to solve population decline with just saying we need more people. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Just going in with the goal, we just want to add people to add people to add people like that's the end goal isn't quite the way to think about it. Um, I think kind of what we talk about, at least I talk about often with people is do everything to build a city and to make a city and to make choices that it's a place people want to live um, and then everything else will take care of itself. Right. Um, hopefully that like all these bigger questions will then start to be solved by the fact that if, if everybody wants to live here from the poorest among us who still want to live in the city because it has all these opportunities for them and it's the, maybe the only life they can live all the way through the socioeconomic ladders from the working poor to the working class, to the middle class, upper middle class and so forth. If you make a city where all our, can live in and work with each other in a way that it works. Hopefully you have those positive feedback loops that then include everybody. Um, And then that will lead to like it had through South Bend's first century. It'll lead to population increase on its own. Is the theory. I, it could not be right. It's, it's my theory, but it's not necessarily like (laughs) tested. Um, Yeah. I think it's like, I don't know. Maybe we'll get into this in a future podcast, but I think it's like one of the most 
interesting things to think about if if like the legacy of south bend in the last 60 years has been like population decline and like deindustrialization um like i think it's one of the most interesting visions for the city which would be like what what role could we play in trying to show a way um, towards like equitable population increase. Cause you look at like the examples that are out there now of cities that have grown like crazy. Um, I think about like, you know, like, you know, everybody wants to become the next Austin, Texas or, you know, things like that. Um, but obviously there's been like consequences of that probably in all these categories you listed, it would actually be interesting to see like, mm of the six categories you listed in the costs, like what happens to those costs in a place like Austin, Texas, which has experienced like huge growth. Um, but like, like how, you know, c- could South Bend like take on the challenge in the next 60 years of like, how do we become a city that shows a model for growth that is sustainable and is equitable? Not that anybody has those answers, but it's it does seem like nobody has figured out a great way to do that yet. And it would be, I don't know, I think it'd be a cool vision for a response to the last 60 years, for that to be a goal for our community for the next 60. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's i don't have any right. like i don't have answers so that's a good way to i think end yeah it. <laughs> like we're, we're, we've uh we've extended I, like all the answers we can give uh historically and now we will ask unanswerable questions about the yeah. future <laughs> i mean i i generally think like a, a program that tries to build more housing especially in the neighborhoods that have a lot of vacant lots can lead to a lot of good things um and the fact that we as a community, and I mean this in the biggest sense, are still building brand new subdivisions out on the edge while we have, I think South Bend has over 5,000 vacant lots, um, is not the way to start tackling it. So, right. Um, and then ending it up, so this is the penultimate, I think is the right word, uh, mm-hmm. article of the of the main series um the last one will be kind of i didn't really want to end it on just the costs because it's just really depressing um and i also think it it does kind of what i said don't do at the beginning article or don't just focus on the doom and gloom um of it all and, and these neighborhoods are still well loved and lived in um compared so the last article will be about how south bend survived um because it could have been a lot worse. It could be a lot. We could have lost a lot more people and the people that could then be still be here would have had way off, way worse off existence. Um, South Bend managed to keep 76% of its peak population, which as I've written most of the next article, that's actually pretty good compared to a lot of cities that look like us. Um, I'm looking at nine other cities that all had a peak population between a hundred and 200,000. And that were all Rust Belt, you know, heavy manufacturing. Um, and then from 1960, 1970, they peaked and they declined. Some rebounded and then brought to new heights. Um, that's one category. 
the other the medium category kind of looks like us and we're at the top end of that where we had a decline but it it was wasn't super tragic um even though it was still large as we've talked about for seven um or for six podcasts now and then there's a there's an even lower category where these like we lost 24 percent but gary youngstown and flint have all lost over 60 percent of their population mm. which is just orders of magnitude worse um and all these all these costs are just even more magnified um for the residents that remain um mm. and so how did south bend why did south bend go down the path it went you know we I think the last, you know, the whole series has been focused on like, well, why didn't it keep growing? Why did it stop growing? But why did it not crater? You know, why did it hang on? You know, over 100,000 people today live in the city and call the city home and actively decide to live here. Why is that the case? Why isn't it 65,000 or 50,000 or zero? Like, you know, why why did the city hang on? And, And especially why did it hang on when a lot of the negative forces that were pushing on it that we've talked about also pushed on these other cities that looked really similar to us, but have fared way worse. Um, mm. And it's not to pick on those cities or anything, but I think it's important to realize that it could have been a lot worse here. Yeah. And yeah. so that'll be the finish of the series as a whole. Um, I'm sure I'll write a bonus piece um, when the 2020 census comes out <laughs> um, but I think people would have a fit if you didn't go back and update all your charts with 2020 oh, yeah, that sounds awful <laughs> oh whoa, yeah the charts I don't know about that I, he doesn't Joe doesn't make the charts okay well I got put the data but you make the charts which I mean I will make I will be the first to advocate for an update of the charts <laughs> Dustin you have not made a chart oh my god that's the that's the tedious part of the process. The charts. Oh as my God. as we started this series, Jake, it's it's for the kids. <laughs> we have no. I do not think we have any kids reading more people. We have a lot of well, people reading, we should, reading we should, it. We should get kids reading it, and then you can find an intern that will update the charts. Oh my God! Well, luckily yeah. for for you, Jake. So I I specifically like chose 2010 because that's the story, right? Hopefully. Right. Hopefully what we see is the 2010 to 20 number shows growth. And if that's the case, then it it shouldn't be part of these charts because this chart, hopefully, hopefully 2010 is the bottom. And this is the story of how we got to our bottom, I hope, and not on the journey to our bottom. Um, That's right. And then all the articles next year, they don't have to have charts because it's just one number. Well, we'll have to look at the 2010 to yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, I'm sorry to break it to both of you. We're going to need updated charts. <laughs> it'll be it'll be really interesting. I, I'm already looking forward to diving into like the census tracks at the very local level. Um, so it might be a little more interesting to just local people. Um, but it'll be I'm, I'm positive there are people out there that would happily volunteer to update these charts in order to see what the uh... <laughs> It's all about the charts, Jake. It's all about the charts. That's 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 where the case is. I just say, and I yeah, I I made a mistake. I <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna make these charts look really nice, and then I was like, wait, they all have to look nice then. <laughs> well, okay, I will I will amend my request. I don't care if they look good. I would just like an updated, you know. The problem though is like, context. It has, to look, it has to look good. We're publishing a website here, okay. We have, we have standards now. 
Yeah, we have members. <laughs> Come on. This is an operation. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so hopefully that will come out next Thursday. If, well, if you're listening to this a week from when you listen to it. Um, but no promises on that, because as it's the end, I want to make sure it's the best it can be. And there's a little page or two about what the whole series has meant closing up. Um, so I want to get it right. So it might take two more weeks. Especially Thursday, if, though. It usually comes out on Thursday. Yeah, you, it'll come out on a Thursday. Yeah, that, that's always my goal whenever I'm aiming yeah. for something. Um, if you guys don't know, there's been like a little bit of an election thing that's kind of <laughs> taken my brain space out for a few weeks. So, yeah. All yeah. right. I, I will say, in addition to advocating for charts, I uh, I'm gonna break it to you now, Joe, that I don't. While this may be the end of the more people series as we know it i do not think it's the end of more people yeah i i i think there more will come of whatever project this spins into next i think good like 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 we said this is an operation okay (laughs) i'm I'm (laughs) waiting for it including new charts (laughs) yeah maybe next episode we'll have some more stuff to talk about so on that front well and then we're going to be kicking off imaginary lines so right oh, man and we, i mean like the census is just going to be chock full of things we got to talk about yeah for sure that'll be season two of more people <laughs> you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs>